So ESG can sometimes feel like a never-ending list of new issues. That's Jenny Davis-Baku, a partner in Bain's Amsterdam office, helping our clients get up to speed with ESG. You can start with carbon, and then it's plastics, and then it's water, and then it's deforestation, and then it's working conditions, and then it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's easy for companies to get overwhelmed. As the list of ESG concerns continues to expand, so does the list of ESG strategies, ranging from the defensive, do no evil approach, all the way through to impact investing. And actually, I think that's really where the power is in the ESG movement, if you will, that there's real money associated with this. Today on the show, Jenny Tavis Baku explains how she helps clients find their way through the forest of ESG indicators and how she helps them see the missing links between ESG and value. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Dry Powder. How do private equity firms that really don't have a fully formed strategy, how do they actually put this on the front burner and get going? I think the first thing to do is take an x-ray of the portfolio and see where are there uh, risks and also where might there be opportunities. I think the second thing is really to think through what is the positioning that you want to have on this agenda? Could be anything from just do no harm to actually diving in and uh, doing an ESG value creation plan as we've done uh, recently for a number of our clients. The other thing that we do is potentially picking an issue or two where they know it's going to be relevant for uh, the bulk of the companies in their portfolio that might be carbon, might be waste, it might be uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and actually starting to think about the specific opportunities that are in their portfolio around those issues. And then it's the key metrics and translating that into the value creation with the milestones that you would expect. You know, Jenny, one of the things that has always confused me about ESG is that it just seems like there's such a huge range of issues that it covers. How how can a client begin to track such such a wide range of things that you just described? It's certainly true that there's a whole raft of different measures, and it's probably 579 that you could look at. Yeah, 579 indicators seems like a lot of things to measure. When when I get more than I can count on one hand, that, uh, that starts to get me confused. So are there any helpful things out there in terms of benchmarks or measures or things that clients can look to that that are improving? I know there are no global standards, but what, what are people using out there that you see? Yeah, so hopefully the global standards will be emerging and we do see the big four accounting firms actually coming together to try to define a smaller set of measures or other uh, similar efforts. One uh, thing that uh, companies often find useful is something like EcoVadis which is a assessment company that Bain has partnered with for a number of years. Even though it covers all the range of different issues, it can come down to a single score, and you can then decompose that into three or four areas that you really need to focus on to improve that. And how do you do that? How do you help clients hone in on the indicators that are really relevant to their portfolio? So to some degree, the material issues are not rocket science. You'll uh, know if you've got a carbon problem, if you're in a resource intensive industry, you can also uh, use scans like EcoVadis to really try to identify the material issues. After that, it's really a debate as to where actually strategically you want to position yourself on those material issues. And actually, do you want to be a leader on something like carbon or do you want to uh, actually just be amongst the pack? It'll be an assessment of where the value creation opportunity is. Do these opportunities naturally present themselves to firms that start tracking these ESG indicators, or do leadership teams really have to change their conceptual framework around ESG? How do they think about it? 
So they don't need to change their conceptual framework. They need to do what they've always done, which is start with the customer and really listen to what it is that customers are looking for and what's going to get them excited. And what they'll see is actually in pretty much every industry, consumers are looking for things that are more sustainable, that use less material, that are uh, better for you, that are better for the planet. And uh, by taking that customer lens and introducing a perspective of ESG and what is it that you can bring to those customers, that is where you really start to unlock the value. Can you give an example of a client that you worked on that discovered a, a financial opportunity through using ESG? A pretty inspiring example is a recent private equity acquisition of a food business. And going in that food business was actually pretty poor when it came to health ratings of its products. It was relatively uh, high in fat, sugar, and salt, and they didn't really have anything that was taking advantage of the trends towards healthier eating, more natural ingredients. And what that company has done is really transform their uh, formulations when it comes to uh, calories and products. They've repositioned away from plastic and they combine that with a marketing transformation to really reposition the brand such that they would appeal to more of the millennial consumers with some of these promises of more sustainable, more natural, palm oil free at the heart of the brand proposition. And they've really seen tremendous uh, turnaround, both in terms of top line as well as bottom line performance. We see in a lot of consumer businesses that the uh, innovation rates of more sustainable brands are significantly higher than other brands. But the other benefit that you get out of that is just the engagement and passion of your employees because actually they can connect what they have been doing, which is putting out products, to actually something which becomes even more meaningful. And particularly for the millennial generation and the younger generations of employees, you start to see the levels of employee engagement really go up uh, in firms that are taking this seriously, which is another benefit. So better employee engagement, better products for the customers, higher valuations. I mean, that really you've made it feel like ESG is not this extra thing that you do, but it's really fully integrated with value creation is not a box ticking exercise. And so how do you help clients shift their mindset so they see it this way, not something extra that they need to do, but actually at the core of what they should do in order to create value and do good? Yeah, that shift from being a box ticking exercise on the side to being at the heart of value creation is what's required to get full value out of this agenda. My perspective is that ESG is really moving up the agenda for private equity companies. Would love to hear if that resonates with you and what you're seeing. I think it does, Jenny. You know, we're in the early stages of really embedding firmly ESG strategies in private equity firms. Europe, in many ways, is leading the ESG conversation. I think the U.S. is rising in importance and a sense of urgency, particularly because many limited partners are demanding that GPs actually have a stated strategy and a measurable strategy that they follow up on. I think the intriguing thing that you discussed that's really just beginning to be unlocked by a lot of private equity firms is this linkage of ESG and value. Uh, the fact that this is not something extra, that it can be an integral component of the value creation plan and actually lead to much better investment results going forward. And I think some of the leading firms that do this, they don't even talk about it in terms of ESG. They talk about delighting customers. They talk about gaining market share. They talk about engaging employees and making the best possible product and service. 
I have a potentially tricky question and you can decide if you want to answer it or not. <laughs> Sometimes the phrase doing well by doing good actually continues to put ESG in a worthy light. Should we get rid of that language and just talk about doing well by doing business well? I think that's a terrific goal. And I think it's something that we can work to. I think for the private equity industry, trying to figure out ESG and how to actually create value while doing that means the phrase is going to be around for a little while. I mean, I've used it multiple times. I use it all the time because I think there is a degree of skepticism around whether or not ESG can really create value. Everyone understands that it's the right thing to do for our planet, but not everybody understands that actually I can create more value by implementing sustainable policies that make economic sense as well as do well for the world. There have been mistakes in the past, and that drives a lot of the skepticism. There are, I think, you know, a variety of public indexes out there right now that are ESG indexes, sustainability indexes, and they outperform when you look at some of them, but there are questions raised. If you look under the hood of what companies are in some of those indexes, there are companies and industries that at first blush you would not think would be in an ESG index. And so I do think that there is a level of skepticism and until it's proven that there's an outperformance from a private equity perspective, at least on a repeatable and sustainable basis, that this skepticism will be around. The good news is I think we are starting to see investments that are paying off for different firms where the firms themselves believe in private equity that they need to fully incorporate ESG into the value creation plan. And to your point, they don't use the letters ESG anymore. Yeah, just picking one or two of your portfolio companies, really looking at ESG and the value creation that can come from it is probably the best way to help make that mindset shift. Jenny, this has been a terrific conversation. Really appreciate all of your insights and commentary. Thanks very much for coming by today. Great. Well, thanks for having me join you. Really enjoyed it. If you don't want to miss future episodes of Dry Powder, subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening. <laughs>